And James is like, what's the deal with you guys slandering each other? Don't do that. It's not the way it should be. I think that was the worst Seinfeld impression I've ever heard, and I did it, so... Welcome to Discovery Bible Study on Front Porch Report. Here, every other week, Sam and I look at a chapter from the Holy Scriptures and ask a set of simple questions. What does this text say about people? What does it say about God? And what does it say about the Gospel? From there, we use the insights we glean to discover how the passage is relevant to us and how we can apply it to our lives. This Bible study method is tried and tested in individual and small group settings and is designed to help God's Word speak more clearly to the biblical novice or the master theologian. Thank you for joining us this week, and we pray that this study is fruitful to you and to your ministry. Alright everybody, welcome back to our Discovery Bible study in James chapter 4. This week we are going to pick up with our patent pending Solve the World section and then move on to some application. So we got into it a little bit last time, but I really, really want to know what verse 9, not verse 9, I keep saying that, verse 5, what is it referencing? It certainly seems like the kind of thing that would be consistent with God's character, right? Because he describes himself as a jealous God in the Old Testament. And as you've mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you know, the fact that we have a spirit inside of us that envies intensely, that earnestly desires our, our good and our, our love is a beautiful thing, because if we had just a passive, uncaring spirit, even if it was inside of us, you know, what, what good is that? But it's a, it's a mark of extreme devotion and love that he gives that kind of a spirit in us that's going to constantly be drawing us on to good and the things of God. But yeah, I don't know what he's quoting there. And I'm sure nobody else does either, because otherwise we'd have had We'd have had some scholar figure it out. Yeah, so I just did a cursory read through the NAC. Uh, for those of you who are not in the know, that is the New American Commentary. It's a, it's a pretty good commentary. 10 out of 10 recommend. Anyway, and the NAC says that it quite possibly is referencing a rabbinic teaching uh, mm. at the time. So, but we don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good old rabbis. Yeah, it, it kind of points to an interesting fact of life, which is that even by this time, you know, for most of the Bible's history, it was a document that was, or not a document, it was a collection of scrolls that was somewhat fluid in which ones were considered a part of it and which ones were not, right? You've got the Torah, and, you know, we can say that that's an established set of five books, but 
you know, throughout the period of the judges, throughout the period of the kingdom, the exile and beyond, you know, we've got these other books that are being written and the prophets writing their books, Psalms being added, even, you know, some Proverbs that some come from Solomon, of course, but some of them are by people after him, we can, we can assume. And so even by the time of this first century era, they've got a pretty good idea of what is in the prophets, what's in the Torah, what's in the writings. But, you know, some of these Christians, these Messianic Jewish Christians might have other books like the Book of Enoch that Peter quotes in Second Peter um, and Jude quotes that we wouldn't consider part of our canon today that modern Jews wouldn't be considered in their Hebrew Bible canon today, but that also contain God's truth, right? And so we don't necessarily have to find the book from which this rabbinic teaching comes from, or we don't necessarily have to take the entirety of the book of Enoch as, as scripture at face value, but it certainly has some elements of truth in it. And these, New Testament biblical authors were able to find those find those nuggets for us. I think it's interesting that in verse 2 he says, you do not have because you do not ask. And it's qualified in the next verse by you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. But an implication of that would be that if you were asking for something with right motives, that you would receive it, Right. And Jesus says something similar when he talks about who would, if their son asks him for bread, would give him a rock, or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake, right? And so it's just a, it's an interesting little dynamic where once again we have to find ourselves in the in the tension between two extremes of, hey, if I am asking for something from a pure motive, I should have a reasonable expectation of receiving it. And then, you know, the question becomes, what does it mean to have pure motives? Is there, is there a point where you just, you're so in tune with what God wants or with God's spirit that you're only asking for things that God wants you to have anyway? We could do a long conversation about that because, boy, like I know a lot of people who, especially when the topic of, prayers and love and healing happen, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I genuinely believe you can, God, and I genuinely believe you you are able. I just don't know if this is your will. And I want this person healed, and I'm praying with what I believe to be a pure motive that I, I want this person healed, but it's not happening. That opens a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> So Taz, as we have often said, the Bible is not intended to be a work of fantasy or a work of fiction, that, that you aren't to read it like any other book. Uh, I heard a pastor once say that, that the Bible is the only book that reads you, right? And so 
as we look at that, we don't ever want to walk away from Scripture without an invitation to application. And so what is something that you see in this passage that you're like, man, I think the Holy Spirit is kind of pulling this on me. For me, it goes to what we talked about a few weeks ago with verses 11 and 12 about criticizing, defaming, or judging fellow believers. Because it can be really easy for me, even in a moment of what I perceive as levity, to just really, without context, kind of attack someone for a thing that they say or a thing that they did, you know, make fun of them even, and, you know, behind their back, just make them look bad in front of someone else. And it can move to even more serious territory where I'm trying to defame them in a, you know, serious way, make them characterize them in their entirety as evil or just, oh, they're so liberal with the Bible. They're not even, you know, they're, they're heretical, right? Or something like that. Or, you know, take it the other way. You know, they're so fundamentalist that they're, that there's nothing that they have to offer the church or, or to God. And, you know, as we said, there's a difference between rebuke and judgment. And the Bible calls us to rebuke and to exhort in love. But in so many cases, I'm not doing that. It's I'm not even talking to the person. I'm talking to someone else behind their back, right? And my church has something called the 24-hour rule, where we say if you catch yourself gossiping about somebody then you've got 24 hours to ask for their forgiveness, kind of confess to them and, and apologize. And that's a really, it's a difficult thing to do because typically the person that you catch yourself gossiping about is someone that you'd be quite embarrassed to go and admit that to. And that's why it's, it's so great that James tells us that being humble is what brings us closer to God, right? God gives grace to the humble and Embarrassing yourself by doing this thing is a great way to kind of humiliate or bring yourself into humility, right? And so the, the application that I draw is to just be more careful with my words, to not see it as a little thing or something that I just do for fun or even to, to defame or degrade denigrate someone else because it's the easy thing to do, but instead to really try to look at the situation from a nuanced perspective. And when given the opportunity to have those conversations of rebuke in that personal specific loving sort of way, rather than in a, a public or private shame fest. One of the things that I talked about two weeks ago was the need for proper rebuke and in the same lines that you're talking about, but slightly different, the importance of proper rebuke. One of the things that I said was a key in that situation was, was the need to examine yourself and, and, and take a look in. And as Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter seven, to remove the, the log from your own eye before talking to your brother about the splinter in his or, or sister, um, and I think that recent months, I haven't been good 
about self-reflecting and really examining. And there's one of those things where it's like you're in prayer and you're like, hey, God, forgive me of my sins. And that's a lot different than saying, hey, God, I was lustful today and I want to give that to you and I want to repent of that and I want you to forgive me. Hey, God, I I spoke bad about someone today and I'm sorry for that. And I need to, to ask for their forgiveness but as well as I need to ask you for your forgiveness. And so that that process of a self-reflection, really like commenting uh, and confessing sin to God specifically, not generally, not saying, oh, I know I'm a sinner and I've sinned. God, forgive me. Thank you for the food. Amen. But like a, a genuine confessional period, because I mean, God knows it, right? People, like, that's one of the things where it's like, it's really where people are like, ah, oh, I just don't want to confess my sin to God. I'm like, like, like he knows what you did. Like, how, how do you, how do you, like, if you, like, if you believe that God knows everything, then, like, he already knows it, but he wants to know that you know it. And so I think for me, that's the application yeah, and being specific with the thing that you are confessing also draws your mind back into a, a self-reflection, right? Because if you just sort of give the take the easy way out and do the generic "forgive me, I've sinned," then it doesn't require you to actually think back through what have I done today, this week, that has been dishonoring to God. And the less time that you spend in that self-reflection, the more likely you are to just keep repeating the same mistakes, right? So that's a that's a really good one to practice, even though, as you said, it might seem a little weird to just tell God something that he already knows. As usual, in any conversation with God, he kind of knows you, the gist of what you're going to say before you get there. But most of the benefit of prayer redounds to us rather than to, to his benefit. Thank you all for joining us this week on part two of our Discovery Bible Study in James chapter four. As always, we'll be back next week with another episode of Middle Ground where we discuss the world that we currently live in and how events always point us towards God and the Christian worldview, even if no aspect of the story is overtly trying to. Hey, Taz, I think I'm forgetting something. I don't, I don't know, know what I could be Have forgetting. you checked the oven recently? The oven! Oh, no! What did I forget in there? Was it a take? I think it was a take. Oh, no. Oh, no. Let me go check. Oh, I've burnt it. I've burnt this take. Taz, it's it's too oh. hot. It's too hot. It might it's, have it's... to go in the outtakes then. <gasps> oh, right. Let's hear it. So, Taz, people may not be aware of this, but there is now a possibility of an East Virginia. And by that, I mean, actually, there are counties in Maryland that want to leave Maryland and join West Virginia, which is east of Virginia, West Virginia. It's weird. The section that wants to join West Virginia is actually east of West Virginia. So I will reference it as East West Virginia in this. But what is your take on this test? 
the East West Virginia? Well, well, I would assume that the reason why they would want to leave Maryland is because maybe they identify as Republican and they would want to live in a Republican governed state, even though the, the West Virginia Senator is Joe Manchin and he's a Democrat. He's basically the only Democrat in elected office there, which, you know, on the level of being someone who lives in a place that's controlled by Democrats, if you prefer to have policies enacted over you that are more Republican, I'd see how that makes some sense strategically what it would do between the two parties it was it would i guess make west virginia even more republican than it already is and it would make maryland even more democrat than it already is and so you know as a as a national party you might as the republicans want to keep all those republicans in maryland in the hopes that someday you could you know build up a better coalition be able to retake office in that state but you know on the level of the people on the ground you know if, if they don't like certain policies and they don't see any way out of making it happen then i suppose it makes sense for them i don't even know what the logistics of having that happen would even look like because the last time we've had a change in states was when hawaii and alaska joined the union but i feel like you know, you'd have to go back even before the 20th century to, to find another such change. Fun fact, you know, West Virginia wasn't originally a state. It actually split off from Virginia in the in the Civil War because the people in West Virginia didn't want to secede from the Union with the rest of Virginia. So it'd be an interesting callback to that history, I suppose. But yeah, it's very strange. Thank you all for joining us this week. Front Porch Report is a passion project by a group of people who love Jesus and want to spread his word. Our hosts are Taz Turner and Samuel Hinckley. Our theme song is If by Beautiful Eulogy. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and share this episode with your friends so that we can continue to spread the word. If you'd like to get in touch with us, Follow on Twitter, where we are at Front Report, or send us an email at thefrontporchreport at gmail.com. We'll catch you next week. In the meantime, stay safe out there. You are making clicking sounds. The good news is you can hear me. That's interesting. I can I can mute you, but I can't unmute you. That makes sense. You wouldn't. I can save you from yourself, but I can't actually bring you into the world when you're not ready to be here. I'm trying to think of how best to phrase this. Phrasing can be a tricky thing. I think that's it, ma'am. Ma'am, you're cute, but you're not supposed to be up there. Fine, just turn around and show me your butt. Rude. That's gonna go in uh, outtakes, isn't it? <laughs> Just turn around and show me your butt. <laughs>